Well, what's going to happen is the emperor is going to go back in time. He's going to blow up Endor. And when he blows up Endor, it sets off an entire new timeline so that we can do whatever we want with the stores, the stories, (laughs) because that's how JJ Abrams works. (laughs) No, just no. This is episode 56 of the Movie Bite Podcast, where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, August 14th, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and here with me is the man with the plan to go to Elysium and save us. It's Mike Fizzle. What's up, guys? Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm all right, man. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Chad, you know, he's off uh, gallivanting around. Something about college or something and just too much going on this week. I don't know. It's a little crazy. Who knows no, what I think he it, does? I, th- I think it's great because then, what is it? The, the Life is like the Movie Bite podcast. You never know who you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know what today is? Oh, uh, the, a day after my anniversary? I don't oh, know. Well, that could be too. I don't know anything <laughs> about that. But today is a special day. Here, let me let me give you a hint here. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie. Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie. Guess what today is. It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, help. <laughs> I love that commercial. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. Uh, as, as soon as someone found out that they said, Mike, 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 they sent it to me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. that is funny. Geico hump day commercial. Uh, and I realized I'd never played that on the podcast before. And we do the podcast on Wednesdays. So how can you not? Right. So it's I'm only fitting. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to uh, put that in the uh, show notes uh, just in case anyone uh, wants to find that for some reason, some weird, strange, unknown reason. Never heard of that before. That will be in the show notes. All right, so I hope you all are having a good Wednesday. One other thing I wanted to mention before we dive in here is I just listened to your podcast uh, yesterday or the day before. I lose track of the days. Uh, the one with James uh, Harleman. Harleman, how do you say that? Harleman, yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, that was that was good. I really liked that, if, especially from a Christian worldview perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be gained even if you know, you're a listener and you're not a Christian, but I, I suspect most of our listeners are, so uh, – I will recommend that, and I'll put that in the show notes as well, just to give you a little bit of a plug there. I don't know what, what influence we have here at Movie Bite, but I'll <laughs> hand it over to you. So. I, will, I will take all the influence that you're willing to give. So here, here it is. Uh, put it in the chat room as well, and that's in the show notes. So why don't we dive into what's new in the world of trailers this week? In a In a world. All right, so new this week, uh, or throughout the uh, last week since the last podcast, we have Thor The Dark World, uh, UK trailer, The Mortal Instrument, City of Bones, five-minute clip, uh, Her trailer starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson's voice, Captain Phillips trailer 2, The Counselor, uh, the Hollow Crown uh, trailer featuring Patrick Stewart, Jeremy Irons, and others. Uh, the Hunger Games Catching Fire International trailer and How I Live Now trailer. So let's start with Thor The Dark World. Have you had a chance to watch these trailers, Mike? Oh, yeah. I- I've tried to be as selective as possible, and I know I've talked about this on the show before. I don't want too many spoilers. Sure. So I have tried to be selective, but I, but I checked all these out because lots of these I hadn't seen yet. Okay. Um, so, what about the the Thor? The, the, excuse me. I'm I'm tongue tied. The Thor trailer. 
Do the Thor one specifically? I admit that I was not exceptionally excited to see Thor. I, I mean, I was excited in the I am all about the Marvel universe right now, like most people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember being let down a little bit by Thor. But recently, uh, my wife and I had a chance to go back and watch it. We just hadn't seen it in a while. We decided to veg out one day. And I liked it a lot more than I remember liking it the first time. And that has gotten me very excited about uh, the Dark World now. Yeah, I, I kind of had the same experience. I don't know if it's quite as you know quite as much as you are explaining, but I did have like the first time I watched Thor, and this is I think maybe coming on the heel. What what, what movie was pre- preceding that? Was that Iron Man? I think it was Iron Man Two, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Well, I, I hadn't seen Iron Man Two uh, for some reason or other, and then I think I you know was expecting something. And, and I'm one of the people that liked the original, not the original, but the 2008, 2009, whatever it was, the Hulk. Not not the not the Eric Bana one, of course, but the Edward Norton one. Yeah, I mean, I like the Hulk. I like that one too. You and me are one of the ten people in the world. Um, apparently, everybody I talk to usually is like, ah, I can't. It's terrible, you know." And I loved it, and then I loved Iron Man, and uh, so I think perhaps coloring my judgment of Thor coming out off of those two films uh, that I was familiar with and in love from the Marvel Universe, and just starting to really get familiar with the Marvel Universe, and I thought Thor was exceptionally bad. But then I watched it recently, much more – it was at post-Avengers I watched it for the second time. I don't remember when it was. I think it was last year sometime. Um, and I thought, um, you know what? This isn't as bad as I thought. It's just not great. Yeah, I thought it I thought it was a little overreaching maybe. It, it tried to do a whole lot in one film with – places and characters yeah. that most people aren't very familiar with and, and I but think that, yeah and i think that eric i mean uh, not eric uh kenneth branagh was just maybe not the right choice to direct <laughs> that film uh, just i don't know just too too goofy in, in a way and i know it's a comic book movie but it was like almost too uh, too unbelievable you know what i'm saying well we had just seen two iron man movies about a very mortal person um having to work through very mortal situations um, yeah. Sometimes a little extraordinary, but very mortal. And then we go to a world where you have a, a godlike superhero. And like I said, a, a godlike superhero that most people aren't very familiar with unless you are a comic reader. So I think it, it was a bit of a stretch. But having the context of Avengers, I think anyone who goes back and watches Thor again will enjoy it if they did not enjoy it the first time. Maybe yeah. not. They won't be like their favorite still because I think it's 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 still one of the weaker Marvel movies, but it's better than I think uh, it was before Avengers. Yeah, and and, and now we, we're spending all this time on Thor, and we haven't even yeah. talked about the, the actual trailer yet for Thor: The Dark World. So here's here's a quick clip from that. After all this time, now you come to visit me, brother. Why? To mock. I need your help. But I wish I could trust you. If you did, you'd be the fool I always took you for. So that's a little bit from Thor the Dark World trailer. That'll be in the show notes. Check it out. Um, I am definitely looking forward to this a lot. Um, and this is this is actually a UK trailer, but the internet kind of breaks down the barriers, you know, between yeah. the t- between the uh, nations or whatever. So. Um, it seems like Loki's going to pr- play a pretty big part in this film yet again. I mean, he's played a big part, of course, in Thor. He played a big part in the Avengers, and I think he's. I I really feel like though this is probably his last hurrah. 
I don't I, – I, I, okay, my prediction – this isn't a spoiler because I don't have any information, but this is my prediction, okay? This is me saying what I think is going to happen. I think that what we're going to see is Loki's going to find some sort of redemption. I don't think it's going to be complete and total redemption by any means, but it would be some sort of turning, and then he's going to get killed is, is my take on what's, what's what we're going to see. I'd say that's a pretty safe bet. There's been a, a number of movies, especially this past year, that have dealt with fathers and father figures – um, lack of father, not good enough father, you know, unrequented love from a father, things like that. And I think uh, that whole Odin Loki thing is going to be resolved and dealt with. It's just, it just seems too timely. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, you know, of course, all this is going to be leading up. This is uh, Marvel Phase 2 leading up to the Avengers, now that we know the title, The Age of Ultron. So it'll definitely be interesting, and we know that Loki, and here's another part that's motivating my prediction, we know that Loki is not going to play a part in the Avengers, uh, the Age of Ultron. Uh, it's already been confirmed and said, unless they are you know, not just misleading us, but outright lying to us about this, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is possible, I suppose. But I don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't expect Joss Whedon to go back to that well. Well, I, this is the thing, though. It is a comic book movie, so even if your prediction is completely right, they can always find a way to bring him back. They could, <laughs> um, and, and certainly Joss Whedon uh, it, it has done that in the past. He's doing that with Coulson. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For for Agents of Shield, so uh, but definitely looking forward to Thor a lot. Um, it will debut on October the thirtieth in the UK. So if you're one of the lucky people who live over there, I mean, what's up with? I mean, didn't didn't yeah. we have a, a a war over stuff like this? Or no, that was about the the, the tea or something. I, I don't. <laughs> anyway, um, November eighth here in the US. Um, so that that doesn't seem fair to me, but you know whatever. I I I, I feel like my privilege is being taken away or something. Uh, I completely agree. I've had to wait almost an extra month to see the world's end. That that's already got me miffed at the UK right now. Okay, I I kind of want to ask you about the world's end because I don't know much about it, but I'm gonna yep. I'm, I'm gonna move on. Feel free to move on. Yeah, let's do that. The Mortal Instrument City of Bones. This is a five-minute clip, um, and uh, so you'll want to check that out. I'm not going to play the whole thing here, of course. Uh, that's an intro. Let me see if I can actually oh, – this is the awful Yoohoo uh, – Yahoo, not Yoohoo. Uh, <laughs> Yahoo player. Let's see. If, here we go. Right. Somebody just broke down the door. Why can I see you and no one else can? I was going to ask you the same question. I don't even know what I'm talking to you. You're a killer. A cold-blooded killer. As opposed to a peace-loving killer. <laughs> you know what I saw. You think you know. All right, so that's uh, part of the clip from The Mortal Instrument, City of Bones, that five-minute clip. And uh, this looks somewhat interesting to me, um, although I you know, think that it could turn out badly. I'm I'm going to hold out a little bit of hope for this film because I, I tend to like films like this, very fantasy-driven. Um, it, it, it feels kind of like – I've, I've said this on the show before, so I'm kind of repeating myself, but that's okay. I, I can repeat myself, right? <laughs> it feels a little bit like um, Buffy uh, meets uh, Twilight or something, I think, would be a way to describe it. Although I don't, I don't see necessarily the negative aspects from the Twilight, okay. Twilight series. When I, when, I see the, when I see the trailer and the clips like this – to me, it feels like some sort of conglomeration of Snow White and the Huntsman or Underworld, mm. uh, like like just visually. And the I use those two titles specifically because I thought Snow White and the Huntsman was not a very good movie. Mm. Um, I mean, it had some visual stuff that was very interesting, but like 
as a story, I didn't really get on board with it. Whereas Underworld, I thought they missed some things, but the world of Underworld was compelling enough to me that I wanted to see the entire series. So I feel like this this trailer can or this movie based on what I've seen so far can go either of those directions. So I'm definitely intrigued, but I, I'm probably going to wait till someone else tells me that it's either good or bad before okay. I spend money. Well, I'll definitely be seeing this. Uh, it comes out on August the 21st and I will be seeing this sometime in theater. So I'll let you know. Um, you and I are going to have to disagree on Snow White and the Huntsman. My, I didn't realize <laughs> you were uh, such a heathen. Oh, I'm so sorry, TJ. Uh, but um, yeah, I really loved Snow White and the Huntsman and haven't seen, I, I wanted to see, but just haven't seen yet. Um, uh, what was the other one you mentioned? Underworld. The Underworld, the Underworld yeah, series. I haven't seen any of those yet. Um, and so I, I need to do that because they do, that sort of thing is intriguing to me. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, <laughs> Jody in the chat room says, uh, I really need to see Twilight. I don't know if you really need to see uh, it. Probably I, okay. I, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed them for what they were, but I don't think they're must-watch films by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I've talked about this before on the show, so I won't belabor it. Let's move on to Her, starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson's voice. Mr. Theodore Twombly, welcome to the world's first artificially intelligent operating system. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay. Are you social or antisocial? I guess I haven't been social in a while. How would you describe your relationship with your mother? Thank you. Please wait as your operating system is initiated. Hang on, here's the part. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi, I'm Samantha. All right, so that was, we got to Scarlett Johansson finally, and so she's not actually in this film, which is interesting. She's Her voice is in the film. This is like about a guy who falls in love with his operating system. It looks really odd to me. Uh, but it was getting a lot of uh, a lot of buzz around the internet, so I thought, well, I'd be negligent if I didn't post it, I suppose. Um, the film stars Joaquin Phoenix, Chris Pratt, Amy Adams, Rooney Mara, and Olivia Wilde, as well as, of course, Scarlett Johansson. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I think you're right, Jody, in the chat room, uh, it, it seems like it might kind of be a chick flick. And I, I think maybe that's kind of the tone that, that it's setting here. I I really don't know that I mean, you have, um, Spike Jones doing this yes. uh, and he did John Malkovich or being John Malkovich and where the wild things are. And to me, when I watch this trailer, I get a lot of being John Malkovich vibes with that kind of like surreal reality feeling that I got from where the wild things are. So Mm. I think it's going to be one of those like subtly funny, like you might not laugh out loud a whole bunch, but when you're thinking about it later, you realize like how clever some of the situations were. And despite his little stint into his fake rap character of himself, I still think Joaquin Phoenix is one of the um, best actors um, around today. Um, Just his, his range. And so I can't imagine this not being really, really good. Um, yeah, of course. Even you, for even, I mean, even though you're completely right, I think it looks very, very odd. But I think that's what's what's really intriguing to me about it. Yeah, of course he was. Uh, I don't remember the name of the guy he played in Gladiator, although it was a huge role. It was the ba- the bad guy. Um, uh, <laughs> well, um, I don't remember, but but I, and I'm a huge fan of Gladiator. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know, he w- he was great in that. I really don't know. I'm looking looking through the list here. I don't know that I've seen Joaquin Phoenix in anything else other than Gladiator. You haven't seen Walk the Line? No, I haven't. 
Uh, that's we're gonna like I said, I'm gonna start this little Excel spreadsheet of all the movies that we got to get you to see, TJ. But but I'm not interested at all in Johnny Cash. I like I can't uh, stand his music. I didn't. I, I, why would I watch the film? And and I wasn't running Movie Bite when it came out again. So it, so why would I watch it? Well, hold on. I, I don't want to like overstep my bounds here, but I figured they would have kicked you out of Tennessee. They should. Um, they probably should. <laughs> for, for not for not liking Johnny Cash. They probably really should. I mean, I shouldn't be allowed to live in Nashville, right? But yeah. I, I don't like country music. I don't like Johnny Cash. I don't like um, uh, who, who, what other artists. Not just – I mean, you know, I don't even like – like is Johnny Cash supposed to be country music? <laughs> well, that's what – I mean, I think that's the thing. I think Johnny Cash is country music. I think what you typically hear on the radio, and I don't want to get off on a rant about it, but I think what you hear <laughs> – I know where you're going, yeah. Yeah, kind of it's, – it's more like – pop country at right best, yeah yeah which i'm not a fan of and i can understand the people not liking that but just the it's like listening to the blues so, just someone so what you're what you're saying is your itunes library is filled with nothing but carrie underwood and taylor swift that's it <laughs> okay well in any event uh, so he's been in several films most of which i haven't seen except for gladiator and uh so i'm sure he's a fine actor i mean he's, he was great in gladiator no no doubt so mm-hmm. Um, her uh, is just the name of the film. It's hard to, you know, that, that that's a that's an interesting title because, like, how do you get any traction with that kind of a title? Her, I don't know. Anyway, moving on, Captain Phillips. Now, this one really, really intrigues me, and I, I tend to like films that are based on true stories if they're done well. Um, and this is based on a true story, which I don't know much about. And maybe I should learn something about it before I go to the theater, or maybe after. I don't know. But um, here's here's a bit of the trailer. We have a potential privacy situation. Copy, Alabama. You should alert your crew. Get your fire hoses ready. Chances are it's just fishermen. They're not here to fish. So this is obviously about uh, pirates taking over a uh, freighter, an unarmed freighter, uh, of which Tom Hanks playing uh, Captain Phillips is the captain. And uh, so... I, I, it looks really good to me. I mean, Tom Hanks is obviously a great actor, um, and it looks like a film that is not going to need to rely on a lot of CGI, uh, and it, it certainly looks like a fascinating story to tell. Uh, so, And it comes out in, on October the 11th. What do you think, Fizz? Well, I know I just gushed a little bit over Joaquin Phoenix, but Tom Hanks truly is probably one of my favorite actors ever. Mm. Um, and because of that, I would want to see this almost regardless of what else the, the story actually was because I know he typically only attaches his names to things that tend to be very good or have the potential to. Right. So I want to see this movie, but it's going to start hitting that, um, that time of year where I don't feel like I have to see it in theaters, mm. you know, because I don't feel like I'm going to really miss anything from just watching it like on my home theater system. You know, it's not like uh, seeing a Marvel movie or like, you know, Pacific Rim, Wolverine, things like that. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to get a theater to see it, but I will, if I don't, I'm probably going to try to watch this as soon as I can on DVD. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely see it in the theaters. And like I said, it's October the 11th. So, um, you know, uh, for, I don't have much else to say. It's just fascinating, interesting. Uh, oh, it definitely. It yeah. definitely looks like it's going to be if – if the trailer or if the movie lives up to the trailer, I think this could be a very intense, very well done like pseudo documentary. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, because because one of my favorite films so far this year is the film Forty Two, um, and uh, it was you know based on a real uh, story, and so even despite the fact that traditionally I felt like I'm more of a, a fantasy kind of a person, um, the real stories tend to be the ones that are that are doing it for me in terms of uh, the films so far this this year at least. Uh, there was another one. I'm trying to remember uh, what it was. But in any event, like the fantasy stories haven't been hitting uh, quite the right notes for me this year. So I would agree. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, so coming up next here, we have The Counselor from Ridley Scott. Let's see what we have here. Counselor, I always thought a law degree was a license to steal. You for 100 really capitalized on it. I don't intend to take this up as a trade. A one-time deal, right? From director Ridley Scott. Things that these people are simply incapable of. There are not. All right, so uh, and that's just a quick clip, and it's hard to get a sense. Uh, and this is theater of the minds. So let me explain that last bit of sequence where you heard the the motorcycle. Uh, a guy basically got decapitated um, running under a, uh, a stretched out wire across the road that the bad guys or whoever they are in this trailer had just set up. Uh, so that's the type of film you're in for if you go to see this. I'm not quite sure what to think of this film. I'm not quite sure what it's about yet. Uh, and they're making a point of, of showing just how intensely uh, bad, possibly gruesome and even sexual this thing is going to be, you know, with with. Uh, you know, Penelope Cruz and her scantily clad stuff and, and saying, have you been bad? You know, that, that sort of thing. I mean, that's, I think that's the type of film we're looking at. Um, and at the same time, I've always appreciated Ridley Scott's films, the, the few that I've seen. So I, I'm not quite sure yet what to think. Well, with Cormac, or being a Cormac McCarthy story, I completely expect this to be very gritty and possibly exceptionally depressing. Because he he's the one that gave us the road and no country for old men. Mm-hmm. And so when you tie a person who tells those kind of stories with an an all-star director, if you will, and an all-star cast, uh, I can't imagine this isn't going to be like a critically acclaimed movie. Yeah, like but but the thing for me is and maybe I just need to dig a little deeper. I, I admit that I, you know, I spend 5 or 6 or 8 minutes with it when I'm getting ready to post something about it on Movie Byte and then I don't think about it again until a new trailer or something comes up. I, I don't even know what it's about yet. Like like the the trailer is not doing a good job of telling me what why I would want to t- see the story told. You want to see it because Ridley Scott's directing it. Cormac McCarthy wrote it. <laughs> and it's got an all-star cast. Yeah, like Michael Fassbender, uh, Javier Bardem, uh, Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess that that's supposed to be the draw, which yeah. I, I, I want to know more. Like, I'm more into the story. Like, yes, good actors attached to a film does help, but I want to know more about the story. Like, don't don't give it away, but tell me why would I be interested in this story? Well, like I said, because of the people that attach their name to it and because of the, the history that Cormac McCarthy has, I, I'm i already interested in seeing what the story is. It's like when an author comes out with a new book and you don't really know what the book's about, but mm-hmm. you've read like his, his previous four or five books. You, you're going to buy his next book because his other ones are so compelling. They brought out something or made you think, and it's hard for me to believe that this won't be the same case. So I, I'd actually need very little 
because of the history that this group has gotten together, um, which is odd. And ordinarily, I would agree with you with needing to see some kind of story. But like I said, it, maybe it's just the it's the perfect storm of of movie making ability. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and, and, you know, I probably will see it in theaters cause that's what I do now. So, <laughs> um, all right. So this next one is, uh, it, it's a BBC series kind of a thing, but it's a trailer. So I posted it and, and my wife thought that, um, it was really awesome. So, uh, she's the Shakespeare nut around here. Let's talk of graves, of worms and epitaphs. Write sorrow on the bosom of the earth. Let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. So it's obviously very, uh, very much Shakespeare. Um, and uh, she was looking over my shoulder when I watched this trailer, and she says, "You have to post that on Movie Byte." I mean, that's awesome. Uh, she was very, very intrigued and uh, t- told me in no uncertain terms that we would be uh, getting this uh, probably via video on demand on August the 27th when it comes out because she wants to see it. Uh, it stars Tom Hiddleston, Patrick Stewart, Jeremy Irons, and Ben Wishaw, uh, all of which are great actors. Mm-hmm. So um, especially, of course, I-, I know less about Ben Wishaw, but uh, the first three, Tom Hiddleston, uh, Patrick Stewart, and Jeremy Irons, obviously, you know, kind of iconic. Tom Hiddleston yeah. mostly in the last couple of years, but – Patrick Stewart and Jeremy Irons over many years have been well proven. So, um, and, and, and as I said in the article, the word epic is kind of overused these days, but I think it can pretty fairly be applied to this film, to, uh, to this can, series. Yep. I completely agree. When, when I saw that you posted this and I had no clue that it existed, I basically showed my wife immediately. Both of us love Shakespeare adaptations. Um, I think, I mean, I, we went over that before, uh, and we also devour anything basically BBC right now. I mean, we're Doctor Who, Luther, Downton Abbey, Misfits, mm. Sherlock. You know, we love sure. uh, what the BBC is doing. So when you combine those two things, I basically am currently looking for any way to acquire this as soon as possible. Yeah, and of course, it's obviously right up Patrick Stewart and Jeremy Irons' uh, uh, kind of. Um, uh, talents there. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, cause they're, they're very much kind of Shakespearean actors. Patrick Stewart was well known in theater before he became well known for star Trek. So, mm-hmm. uh, well known after. Yeah, for sure. The same reason. Yep. So, um, and, and to answer the question in the chat room, uh, he's hoping it hits PBS soon. No, this is actually coming straight for us in the U S it's coming to iTunes, uh, DVD and other download, uh, and streaming services, video on demand. Basically, I'm, I'm sure it'll be on Amazon, uh, so that's how we'll be able to consume it over here. I, I have no idea I have no information about whether it would be coming to PBS anytime soon, although I'm sure that they're trying to get it aired in any place possible. So that's mm-hmm. always a possibility. Uh, it doesn't I, I have spent a long time since I watched PBS. It doesn't seem like the sort of thing they would put on PBS. But like I said, it's been, I was a kid last time I watched PBS. Well, as soon as they started bringing Downton over and airing it on PBS and seeing what a hit that was. Oh, and, the- and a- they, yeah. they've aired Downton on, on PBS. That's mm-hmm. hmm, it doesn't, okay. it doesn't air until about six months later. Okay. Or six months after it starts. So like the people who are watching in Britain get to see the entire series. So they have all the spoilers or you can do like some people I know who I won't name who find ways to watch it online, <laughs> you know, before it comes out. So everyone else, uh, people over here have to wait usually about six months. And that's, I kind of thought the same thing. Um, the chat room was saying, uh, that it might co- come on PBS for that reason. PBS yeah. is getting incredible raisin- ratings because of it. So, so the the person who will go uh, unnamed, we'll just refer to him as M Fizzle. I, I mean, I mean Mike Mike F. <laughs> Who, <No>. Whoever, <laughs> um, a, a friend. Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, so uh, moving on, uh, we just got a couple more trailers here. Uh, the Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and this of of all the trailers, let me look. Let me look at this list to make sure. Let's see, Thor, Mortal Instruments, Her, Captain Phillips, Counselor. Yep, this is the one I'm looking forward to the most um, because I really loved the book series. Um, I, I mostly loved the book series except for the end of the series. Um, and, and really just the last like couple of chapters. And I really loved the first movie with some caveats. Uh, so The Hunger Games Catching Fire definitely holds a lot of interest for me. And I'm hoping that Francis Lawrence, the, the director of this next film, will come in and, and rectify some of the poor decisions I thought they made in the first film. So here's the trailer for The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Since the last games, something's different. You can see it. What can you see? ignoring each other in real life so that's from the trailer for the hunger games catching fire and uh it comes out in theaters oh did i not put it in the article soon <laughs> uh let's see what do you I think, think about, i think it comes out in november maybe i'm looking it up what, what do you think about this film coming or what, what oh, do you know I'm, of it? I'm really excited I, I have not read the books um my wife has she's pretty excited about seeing all of them because of uh having read the books uh i like the first film okay i mean i thought it was a pretty decent film but obviously i felt like i wasn't excited enough as people who have read the books were which i kind of understand it's like trying to show someone like the lord of the rings without having i had any history with it yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean they, they enjoy it but they don't enjoy it near as much as people All, who have like read these things and had their own imaginations kind of come to life in front of them although i was that way when i came to lord of the rings i'd never read the books i still haven't but i loved the films i, I was really into them. in fact i'm i'm Probably now on the, like the twentieth or twenty, you know, fifth viewing or so, I'm, I'm a little less keen on them than I used to be. But they were like my, I would say my reintroduction to fantasy. Like, Look, put, the, put the DVDs down, go grab the book, just read it. You'll enjoy it. I've and tried. You'll appreciate Maybe, it even more. I need for somebody to recommend a good uh, set of audiobooks for these because that's how I consume books these days. With everything that I'm doing, it's just almost impossible. So I usually like consume them on my commute or while I'm writing code or something via mm-hmm. audiobook. Because my my new job now, I'm actually uh, writing a lot of code, uh, HTML and CSS. If you're interested, um, and uh, <laughs> um, so I, it offers me opportunity when I'm I'm doing tasks that aren't too intensively, you know, taking up my brain power to listen to audiobooks. So anyway, that's kind of a sidetrack. Uh, the Hunger Games: uh, Catching Fire does come out on November the 22nd of this year. Very excited about that. And this trailer, they're kind of taking the same road that they did with the previous film, which is showing us a lot of things before the games and then just giving us little tastes and hints of the arena. Uh, Just at the very end of this trailer, you get to see a little bit of the arena. And and those of us who have read the books kind of know exactly what we're seeing when we see them diving into the water and stuff. Um, So but but it's just a taste like they're not really showing us much of the arena. And I remember noting that about the previous uh movie like they're really holding that back and and come to the theater and see it sort of thing i guess so but i'm, I'm very excited for this and even i'm even hopeful i, I my wife and i have talked about this extensively we have we have like these these uh movies and films and books that we we discuss that we we both like see really closely eye to eye on and, and this is one of those series that we discuss along with let's see harry potter um and and, and other things that we'll discuss but uh, and 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 both both her and I agree. Like we hope that the films will rectify some of the problems that came in in the last parts of the books, uh, the last book. Uh, so that's that's kind of my hope for the for the film series. Other than that, I think they're on the right track for sure. Yeah, like I said, I it's on my movie to watch 
buy tickets as soon as I can list. So, all right. Well, that's coming up on November the 22nd. How I Live Now, starring Saoirse Ronan. Hi. No one calls me Elizabeth, except my dad, and he's an. So if you don't mind, my name's Daisy. Before the war, I thought one day the world around me would start to make sense. And I need nothing else. All right, so I'm, I'm not quite sure. What, uh, I don't know. What do, what, what do you think of this film? <laughs> what, what I think about this film is that I'm very interested in it because the preview gives me enough to have a general idea of where I think it's going. And if I take that and realize that it looks like the the writer and then the director that brought us The Last King of Scotland are basically getting back together and doing a – it's not a documentary, but you almost feel like it's a documentary um, in a world that we don't really understand. I'm excited how good this film can be because The Last King, King of Scotland uh, blew me away with just how good of a film it was, like from top to bottom. So if this can repeat some of that, like I said, bring on the same director who does lots of documentary shorts and documentaries and kind of get that feel without being a documentary. Yeah. And the writer can give us a story that's as compelling and gives us characters that like are like not like so realistic that it's almost painful. Then I'm excited. I'm so excited. Okay. Well, I thought the trailer had a really strange tone about it. I mean, I mean, even just like as the trailer it progressed and you got like all this weird stuff happening, but then the music is kind of almost happy-ish or I don't know. It's really odd. Well, I mean, I'd say I think that that's why it reminds me of The Last King of Scotland because The Last King of Scotland starts out very like, you know, yip do doo do I'm going to do this thing. It's kind of serious, but, you know, I don't really have a lot of problems in life. And you there's this change that happens. And then the change seems kind of like, a, oh, that's a very interesting thing. But it turns out to be a very, very intense, very life-altering, worldview-shifting kind of paradigm that it leaves our main character in. And it, that's what I see in this trailer. I see, you know... Uh, you know, I'm going somewhere. My life is very small. But then when the outer world comes in and changes that, like you have to learn to like develop as a character. And if that character can develop and we can feel what it's like to be in like an occupied war torn country, mm-hmm. then I think it has the potential to to be very good. But it's really hard to do that. So it might easily miss the mark. Well, I will say this. I've only seen Saoirse Ronan in uh, one other film, and that is The Host. And I thought she did fantastic. Whatever else can be said about the film, I thought she was great. I've seen her in a couple of trailers. Uh, there was one film I was interested in and never got around to seeing that was Byzantium. And from the trailer, she looked like she was good in that. Uh, and again, I don't know how good that film was. It looked like it could be really good or really bad. Um, so uh, I never got to see the film yet. So that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Anyway, um, so I will just say that uh, she, she's she been a really good actress as far as I can tell, and so I'm interested in it if only just to see you know what she's kind of up to in this film, uh, even if I feel like the trailer has a strange tone to it. It does. So uh, with that, we're going to transition to some more of our just general film news. Joe was listening to a recent episode of the podcast, and he was telling me, hey, man, it feels like the uh, the trailers and your general news are kind of running together. And I don't know what to do about that. I need a good, like, stinger or something to transition, but I don't have it. So this is your transition. I'm giving you a heads up. We are done with trailers now. 
and we want to move on. Uh, the first thing we have here is uh, Back to the Future Stars, Makeup versus Reality. And this is really a, a thing where, uh, you know, this is radio, theater of the mind, but I really can't explain it. You've just got to go watch and look at it. It's just uh, it's a, three pictures. You've got uh, Leah Thompson, her age makeup from uh, Back to the Future and how she looks now. Uh, you've got uh, Thomas Wilson, uh, same thing. And then you've got Crispin Glover. Uh, and you know the reason this is coming up now is because we are almost 30 years removed uh, from 1985. And in 1985, they went back to 1955. And, and so the makeup they were wearing for 1985, these characters specifically, uh, is, is kind of why this is coming up now, just to see how close to the mark they hit because they're about the right age to make that comparison. And, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of that thing. It's kind of interesting. Um, and I've you, you notice this all the time. I always feel like they take the age makeup overboard. But it's like, well, if you don't, then will you notice that they're supposed to have aged or will it look right? So it's, it's kind of that question. I think the one they hit closest to the mark on was probably Thomas Wilson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it actually looks pretty close. Yeah, I think maybe his hair is a little grayer now, uh, but um, than, than what they did for the age makeup. But uh, anyway, I, I find this sort of thing fascinating just to see, you know, how close to the mark they would have hit something like that. Well, I thought it was cool, but at the end of the day, uh, however cool or not cool people think it is, what it's really doing is making me feel old. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, because I was, uh, you know, I was, uh, let's see, 82. I was about three years old uh, when, when the first Back to the Future film came out. And, uh, you know, here it is th- uh, almost 30 years later. Uh, it does make you feel kind of, I mean, it doesn't make me necessarily feel old, old, but it's just like, wow, I'm I'm, I'm really an adult, aren't I? <laughs> it's been 30 years. So uh, anyway, that was pretty fun. And so I just wanted to mention that. I expect you'll have an opinion on this one. Uh, which would you rather see play Lex Luthor, Mark Strong or Brian Cranston? Can't I have both? Well, we could we could we could get like in the merging <laughs> machine and merge them into one person, and and create some sort of unholy hybrid. And would that would that be what you were looking for? <laughs> well, actually, I think um, maybe if I had to pick. Maybe I would pick Mark Strong. I mean, if these were my two choices, um, I really like Brian Cranston, even though to date. Uh, and I'm very sad about it because since the movieology just came out about with the show about it, I have not seen Breaking Bad because um, I'm trying to wait for it to finish so I can marathon it. Shame on you. I haven't. Either. I know. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I, and so I really want to see it. And I like Brian Cranston and other things that he's done, uh, whether it be his films or uh, heck, Malcolm in the Middle. I thought it was great. Um, but I think what I want to see outside of the actor is just a younger person playing Lex Luthor. Yeah. I mean, Um, he's a little older. I mean, I I suppose in this, in this incarnation of Superman, it doesn't have to matter that much, but he seems a little bit far removed from the age of Superman. I I don't know. Either either one or or, well, Brian Cranston for sure. Mark Strong would be younger, I guess. I I really don't know much about either of these, but I do know enough about both of them to know that immediately when you see these guys, it's probably going to be the bad guy, right? And so Michael Minkoff, I thought, had a great uh, observation in the comments of this film. Uh, By the way, you should check out Michael Minkoff and Eric Rauch's uh, podcast, Movieology. Uh, Just a quick plug there. Uh, So Michael Minkoff, in the the comments here, he said uh, he thinks that uh, he would like a no-name actor in the role of um, Lex Luthor. Using either Strong or Cranston would tip it off from the beginning who the bad guy was. I like the idea of there being a betrayal and a slow reveal. And I kind of agree with that, even though I don't have a lot of invested here in this because I hated the first, uh, I hated Man of Steel so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
that being said, I would like to see the franchise turn back around and do well, and so I do have that much invested in it. Other than, and I don't know much about Mark Strong or Cranston either one. So, well, how about this? If they're going to uh, get rid of Loki, why don't we just shave Tom Hiddleston's head and he can be Lex Luthor? <laughs> I think that would be kind of a giveaway too, because <laughs> he tends to play bad guys. You look so evil. Uh, okay, well. Uh, the next trick for now you see me is a sequel. Did you see now you see me? No, I never did, but I've had so many people tell me basically how it ended that I don't really see those people are not your friends. If you haven't seen a film, the people should not tell you how it ends. Well, it's one of those things, you, you know, you always have to have a friend who is, they, they say they're never going to spoil a movie for you. Or they're like, Oh, let me tell you this one thing that won't spoil it. But once you've seen as many movies, I think is like you or I have. Right. Or, well, maybe me because we've already established that someone <laughs> right. has some catching. Up <laughs> I wondered that, if you were um, going to go there. <laughs> um, that, you know, you, you, most movies don't have a super surprise to them. So when you tell one person tells me a little bit and another person tells me a little bit, I have a fairly good idea of where it went. And yeah. I, I don't really, that I don't see where they're really going to go with a sequel. I don't, yeah, I got to say the same thing. Like, having seen the film, uh, I liked it okay, although I felt like the end really kind of destroyed the film. Um, but that, even all that aside, whether or not the end destroyed the film, the end was the end. It was the way it went. And where are you going to go from there? Like, I don't I don't know what you would do in a sequel, and it certainly doesn't seem warranted to me. Um, I'm looking up on Box Office Mojo right now to see what it made because I don't remember, but I don't remember thinking it did enough to warrant a sequel. That's actually what I thought when when you posted that story on Movie Bite. I was like, I thought it didn't do that well. I mean, I thought it did okay, but okay. So the budget was seventy five million, and worldwide, I guess it, it came up a little. It's uh, it's two hundred fifty five million worldwide. Yeah. The domestic is only one hundred fifteen. So while over budget, it's not a lot over the budget. The foreign is what really helped it at one hundred and forty. Um, so uh, there you go. I mean, I suppose they're thinking, well, if we can get another 255 million uh, out of the thing, then, you know, maybe another $75 million budget film, you know, that's not a bad haul. Um, I suppose that's maybe what they're thinking. I just don't see it. I don't see where they're going to go with it. So, uh, what's going on there. What, what the world wants to know though, Fizz, is was Christian Bale offered 50 million to reprise Batman? I don't really care. (laughs) I mean, I think that at the end of the day, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, it it doesn't really work well unless someone really confirms it. Then we can really start debating it. But he did his thing. Let's just let it be done. See, no I, amount I, of money. See, I kind of disagree with you, but I do agree that like, why are we talking about this? It either happened or it didn't, and it, it, until we know something more solid, it doesn't really make a lot of difference. But you know, you got to talk about it because people are talking about it. I'm of the. I will say this. I'm of the opinion that I think it would be better to bring Christian Bale back. Although I don't know if I want to drag him through the mud of the Man of Steel series. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of the thing. I mean, it almost has like a different tone to it. I, I could see, even though it wouldn't be my first choice, if they pulled the you know robin becomes batman and now it's joseph joseph gordon levitt maybe bringing him in but even then it just they seem to be very tonally different and i would be cool with them just going in a different direction so yeah i guess i I guess what i'm tired of is the reboots of the reboots you know and i I get that too i'm not i'm not really wanting them to reboot it but i don't want them to pretend it's something that it's not i think what a good compromise here would be is to go ahead and let uh officer blake 
take up the mantle of Batman. I think that would be a good compromise for me. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they kind of set that up in, in, in The Dark Knight Rises, although they kind of left it such that it could be either. Like, he could go on and become Robin to, to Christian Bale's Batman if, if Christian Bale decided to come back and, and remain in, as Batman. Or he could take up the mantle, even though his name turned out to be Robin. He could take up the mantle. I'm sorry, major spoilers, I suppose, for Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> yeah. I should say that. <laughs> but I didn't. Um, um, but, but they've kind of set it up so that he could also take up the mantle and be Batman, like, going forward. So I think that would be a good compromise. Or maybe he could be for a while, and then, in like, if Christian Bale ever wanted to come back, uh, Bruce Wayne, I should say, uh, then he could step into a different role. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted and torn about this whole thing. You know what I'd rather is just for them to make a good Superman movie and leave Batman out of it, I think. Well, part of the DC universe – well, I don't know if I want to get into all that, but they, they usually have very good uh, duo movies. Mm. Um and Batman, Superman are, you know, kind of like their flagship guys. Right. Well, I know in the comics, they're a big deal to get. Like, like when they do a Batman, Superman comic yeah. thing, my understanding is that's a big deal. Like, that's a thing. Oh, it is. And so, that I mean, and it's technically something Marvel hasn't done. You know, Marvel's like getting all these individuals together and they come together as a team. But like having just a, a duo is something DC tends to do. You know, you have Batman and Robin and then you have these team ups that are typically fairly epic team ups. And it could be a way that uh, possibly DC separates itself from Marvel. Yeah, it could be. Although I certainly wouldn't mind seeing Marvel have a have a team up movie that wasn't, you know, all the Avengers and one big giant epic movie. You know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing um uh, just a duo from from Marvel as well, but you know we'll see, we'll see. I, I I don't know that I have a lot invested in the Batman Superman thing. I'm so I'm so frustrated with Mar with DC Comics at this point. So anyway, I cannot remember. I know. I mean, I even listened to your whole podcast uh, on on Superman. I can't remember what your opinion specifically was of Man of Steel. Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, I think my thumb was kind of immediately Meh. level. Okay. I mean, like you know, there, there was enough bad that it outweighed the good. So like two and, and a half and stars. It, it would have been right down the middle for me. I mean, okay. cause I didn't completely hate it cause there were some nuggets of like really good, but at the same time there, some of the bad was so bad that I couldn't, I couldn't actually turn the thumb up. You know, my opinion was much lower than that. I understand. <laughs> All right. So rumor Ian McDermott to reprise Palpatine in episode seven. Uh, this is according to uh, uh, Jesse Guru over at Joe Blow, who references Jedi News, uh, claiming that a source so, – so referenced referenced third-hand, fourth-hand, whatever – claiming that a source has told them that Ian McDermott will be back as Emperor Palpatine in the new film. And uh, the specifics of the role are unclear, but it seems likely that McDermott will be returning to his signature role of Palpatine, whether as the original or a clone of We uh, Are Yet to Discern. And, and you know what? <sighs> In my opinion, my not-so-humble opinion, I suppose you might say, I think this would be terrible if this was true. Like, wh why do we want to rehash that? The guy's dead. Let's move on to something else in the Star Wars universe. Um, but, they, they, like, I don't know. Why, why would we do this? It would kind of completely nullify the end of Return of the Jedi, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, what's going to happen is the Emperor is going to go back in time. He's going to blow up Endor. And when he blows up Endor, it sets off an entire new timeline so that we can do whatever we want with the stories, the stories, <laughs> because that's how J.J. Abrams works. 
But, no, just no. No. So, but on a more serious note, like I actually, um, I believe when you posted this story, uh, I think what you wrote with it was kind of how I felt. Like if they want to use him in maybe like a like a flashback or something like that, kind of kind of right. way. Like like if the story wanted to okay start, yeah. Like if they wanted to do something with the Emperor pre um, death, uh, you know, before Return of the Jedi or whatever, that sets up something that's in motion that now they have to deal with after that. I could see that, and that would be okay. Um, I, I know that, like in the expanded universe novel series or whatever, like the clone of Emperor Palpatine came came back or around or something, and I'm I'm not interested in that at all. He's dead. Move on. You know, <laughs> but his clone's not dead. Uh, no, no. I'm. I'm then we have to start. Okay, when you the clone, clone wars, someone, d- d- does it clone the midi chlorians? And if we can clone midi chlorians. <laughs> Then can we just no, like no, clone the no. clone, clone the midi chlorians and give them to anybody? I can't hear oh you. Gosh. Thumbs in my ears, fingers in my ears. No, oh, no, no. George Lucas, thank you for so, so many plot holes. No, 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 no. We don't believe in midi chlorians. They don't exist. <laughs> I I refuse to. I, I deny their existence. I refuse to acknowledge such a thing exists. Midi chlorians. It was the stupidest addition to Star Wars ever. Oh, I did not mean to start this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, we should move on before this delves into st- too much Star Wars stuff. Speaking Although, of speaking of, of right, speaking of Star <laughs> Wars, Natalie Portman's phrasing could have possible Thor spoiler. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I read too much into this, but this is kind of what the idea is: is that uh, the actress who returns as Jane Foster in the upcoming Marvel sequel Thor: The Dark World gave a strong hint about the series' future. Asked about the co-star Anthony Hopkins' comments that he wants Thor to continue, Portman told E Online, "Yeah, well, they. I think they are going to make a Thor three. So I think Anthony will be pleased." And the idea here is that they are going to make a Thor 3 indicates that Jane Foster is not in Thor 3. I think that's probably reading too much into it, but at the same time, there's certainly been rumors swirling that uh, Jane Foster is going to meet her demise in Thor 2. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of here and there. I would be sad if that happened because I think she uh, has a lot to bring to the franchise. I like her as an actress. I liked her character. Uh, I think it gives Thor a really great... um, Hmm. What am I? What am I trying to say? Uh, human link. Yes. Yes. There you go. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. The human link is 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 important, and I think that she pulls that off really well. I was disappointed even that she wasn't in the Avengers. Although I know that you can't have everybody from the Marvel universe in the <laughs> Avengers. Like even Pepper Potts just had a bit role, uh, basically in the Avengers. So. Um, I, I kind of get that, but in any event, I, I I really hope that she is in Thor three. But you know, the idea here is that because of her phrasing, she's probably not going to be. Well, it's possible. I mean, you you can say they as in like they who are going to be in the movie are going to like that, or they as in they the people who make movies probably will do that. Right. I think. So, if, I think if it, all of the things being equal, that's the way I would take it. Is you know what they the producers, the directors, the Marvel in general, they are going to make Thor three. And and you know I haven't signed any contracts, so I don't know if I'm going to be in it. So I'll just say they're going to make Thor three. I mean that's that's kind of <laughs> yeah they. Well, my official stance is. I choose not to think about it because I don't want any spoilers. Okay. One more uh, before we move on to our primary review. Trek fans hate Star Trek Into Darkness, apparently, according to The Hollywood Reporter. 
Star Trek Into Darkness was met with boos when it was mentioned, and one guy took the mic to say that these reboots should not even be considered for a list of Star Trek movies. Into Darkness was met with hardcore fan apathy when released in May, although both fans and mainstream audiences seem to enjoy it. But that is unpopular to the point of but that is, is unpopular to the point of booing or being named the least popular movie in the series, for that matter. Maybe something that Paramount and executive producers Robert Orsi uh, and Alex Kurtzman might want to think about take into account before planning the third movie in the rebooted series. And this is like the strangest thing. Like what on earth? I, I actually haven't heard this sentiment yet. So I was surprised to hear that people were booing it off the stage. I mean, that's a little bit silly and it's certainly far from the worst Star Trek film. The, the, I'll tell you the two, the, the two, two contenders for the worst Star Trek films are the, I mean, and every, I think almost everybody thinks this is Star Trek one and Star Trek five. And I'm no exception. I, I feel that way too. But mm, um, I think, uh, Insurrection is probably the second worst Star Trek movie. You and I cannot even be friends. Are you really? You're going to go to war over Insurrection? I like Insurrection. Uh, it's like a long episode that's not doesn't really go anywhere. Definitely feeling aggressive tendencies, sir. There are funny lines, just like the. <laughs> it's not move. Anyway, this is a Star Trek thing that I think we said last time on the podcast we would get into eventually, but not now. Okay, but but in a darkness. Um, it, I also don't think it was the worst film by any means. And I don't really necessarily think there's a lot of, um, unless you just want to be contrarian to be contrarian and lots of Trekkies other than myself. And apparently you as well, TJ, who, you know, still live with their mom eating Cheetos and drinking Mountain Dew in their underwear in their basement. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, that's what I'm doing they right now is the, have, che- the Cheetos in the Mountain Dew uh, right now, right. As we record this podcast, I mean, and I'm in, I'm in my mom's basement right now. I mean, you know, in, in your underwear. Well, I wasn't going to go there. I didn't want to go. Well, people I mean, we need, if we're going to have the picture, TJ, we need the full, <laughs> we need full circle, full circle, man. <laughs> All right. But, uh, I mean, like, you know, people, like the people are want to be tough on the internet. And so they want to have a, they want to have a pedestal about something that's not important. I mean, and I like, we went over this as well. I know you like into darkness more than I did. Um, and I am a big star Trek fan. Um, I mean, I definitely didn't like spoiler alert. The fact that like, they basically reversed the, the Kirk Spock roles. I thought that was great. Um, and, and having to listen to Spock say con was cringeworthy that was that was truly cringeworthy i'll give you that um that was the worst but i thought overall it was an entertaining film and i definitely think it does not i mean it's not even halfway down the list on my list of best star trek films so like i said it seems like people being contrarian just so they can have a soapbox you know yeah to be to be contrarian so people will have to listen to them uh because that's what people who live in their mother's basements in their underwear with Cheetos and Mountain Dew do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's way up there on my list personally. So, and I, I think Star Trek fans tend to be stupid like this. So, it does, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. Well, I mean, there you, you love something that has been around for a really, really long time. So you you can it's really easy to be a purist about it. I mean, unless something is specifically canon and was like ordained from you know Gene Roddenberry himself, then it can't you know it can't be canon. And I, I understand that train of thought, but at the same time, I want Star Trek to continue. And I realize that Gene Roddenberry isn't here anymore. Um, so the yeah. only way I can get that is for someone else to start creating canon. Yeah, yeah. And well, I'm fine and, with and, that. And frankly, I think that Gene Roddenberry, his overall vision may have been great, but his execution left a lot to be desired. And I know. I think the franchise is better off without him. Well, I, I think so. Well, 
to a certain degree too. Yeah. O- overall, I think it started the, the less and less he had his hands in it, the more and more I think it was successful. Absolutely. But, I agree. And, and, and it's interesting. This sparked probably the most conversation that we've had on movie bite in a while. There are, uh, goodness. How do I get a comment count here on Facebook? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. There's over 20 comments on Facebook, uh, on the post itself, we have like eight comments, which people usually comment on Facebook and not on the post itself on Movie Byte. But there are a lot of people engaging in this conversation. Most of them are saying, I really love the film. I don't know what's wrong with these people. So, Well, I think what you actually mean is someone has started a flame war on your it's, – it's, it, I don't – the squeamish, the easily offended – I would stay away from that post on Movie Byte, at least the comment section. It's starting to look like YouTube comments over there. I haven't looked in a couple hours. Has something come up? I no, don't... I don't think you're going to be happy, TJ. I hate to be the one to break this to you because I seem to always be giving you bad news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking right now, actually. <laughs> um, I like your frequent use of caps lock. <laughs> Uh, I, was who, trying, I was trying to be smart and they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, non, me, let me pull that. Who's, that. who's that in response to? This is li- live on the air feedback. Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, yeah, my go, goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you just found out what I'm talking about. Okay. But, well, I'll deal with that after the show. <laughs> but see, but see, this this just goes to the point. You know, there are some people who are very passionate uh, about it both ways. And so I can see where both of them are coming from. But at the end of the day, much like I don't see why anyone would go to war over insurrection. I just don't think that this is something that you want to hang your hat on and hating other people for. I think it's just like you enjoyed it or you didn't move on. Hope there's another one. If you didn't like it, hope it's better. If you loved it, hope it's more the same. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. (laughs) I agree. All right, well, let's let's uh, start talking about some Neil Blomkamp stuff. And uh, I got around, finally, to watching District 9 last night. And spoiler alert, I liked it better than Elysium, I have to say. I did like it a lot better than Elysium. That's not to say that I thought it was a great, like, uh, I, I know Corey, uh, he reviewed it on Movie Byte. Um, I should put that in the show notes. Let me make a note to do that. Um, so he, um, you know, he really liked... Uh, uh, District 9, so he's really looking forward to Elysium, and he also reviewed Elysium on Movie Byte, and he did not like Elysium. Uh, what, did, what did you think of District 9 before we start talking about Elysium? Okay. Wait, District 9. Okay, so I really liked uh, District 9. When District 9 came out, um, actually my wife and I had just recently returned from some mission work in South Africa. So, like, the whole apartheid allegory that was going on in District 9 was really fresh kind of like with life experience from us, like dealing with people who were dealing with post apartheid stuff. Mm -hmm. So like those themes, that imagery, um, like I said, that allegory was, I think very apt and very well done. Um, I really love the film. Uh, it wasn't perfect. Um, but it would have probably gotten like a four and a half stars in my book. I mean, that's how, that's how much I really enjoyed it. Well, it's still pretty fresh, and I like to let a movie kind of sit and percolate like for a couple of days, and I just watched it last night. But I'm, I'm thinking at this point, three or three and a half stars for me. I, I think, though, having seen it after having seen Elysium, I, I would have preferred to do it the other way, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't work out the budget, the time for it. Yeah. But um, I, I think, though, that if, if I'm trying to reverse it in my head, and, and I think what I would see is that some of the tendencies that Neil Blomkamp had that were not so great got hugely blown up and became a bigger part of Elysium. 
Um, I, I wasn't I wasn't fond of the found footage style of uh, of District Nine. I, I really just despise that very much. And I think that he did it as well as it can be done. But it just it it just feels like it's it's a really bad storytelling crutch in my opinion. Um, it because it, it, what it does it gives him the excuse to tell you things that he can't figure out how to work into the narrative of the story visually or or just in in a natural way. So he can just cut to somebody on camera saying, "Well, I think that da, 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 da. and it just really grates me and irks me. It, it and it just it, it doesn't feel like a good dramatic storytelling device to me. Um, so there was that. I think that um, his tendency to use uh, to abuse shaky cam uh, was seen here in District Nine, and then really blown up in Elysium. Um, let's see, there was something else that I was thinking of too. That um, oh, his tendency to not give you anything to really care about or like in your hero was apparent in District Nine. That got hugely blown up and out of proportion in Elysium. So I'm already starting to talk about my despising of Elysium. <laughs> um, so, but 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 District Nine, I didn't hate. Uh, there was certainly a good story there, and I would I would even like to see a sequel. I'd like to see what happens. Yeah. Um, and and I have not heard anything about a sequel to District Nine, so that that's kind of sad to me. But um, so anyway, um, I definitely see why people like it. Um, I didn't care for it a, a lot, but I I would I would I would go see a sequel. Well, I think the thing about District 9 is if they made a sequel, I believe it would probably cheapen the ending. It probably would. Because, I mean, part of the, like I said, that that whole uh, almost allegory is that even though things change, things didn't change. You know, they were they were moving. They were still dealing with this issue. And even though it seemed like we had resolution, honestly, there wasn't resolution. No, that, and that's why I want to see a sequel is there was not really any resolution. Like, and it was it was left in such a way that a sequel would be great. Um, at the same time, frankly, I'd like to see somebody besides Neil Blomkamp write it because I think I think perhaps Neil Blomkamp has better um, directorial abilities than he does writing abilities. I think that's also apparent from these two films. Um, so so let's talk about Elysium now, having framed that with his previous you know well known or well loved film uh, District Nine. Let's talk a little bit about Elysium, which came to theaters on August the ninth. It had a budget of one hundred fifteen million, so quite a bit more than Elysium, which was uh, than District Nine, which was made on like thirty million, I think. Uh, it opened to the dismal tune of twenty nine point eight million, and so far its total worldwide gross is forty four point one million. So um, that's that's a little bit disappointing, I think, for a hundred fifty million dollar film. Mm-hmm. Um, the critical acclaim on Rotten Tomatoes is that after the heady sci-fi thrills of District Nine, Elysium is a bit of a come down for director Neil Blomkamp. But in its own terms, on its own terms, it delivers just enough to satisfy. Which critical acclaim I personally do not agree with. <laughs> it was written and directed by Neil Blomkamp. It stars Matt Damon as Max DaCosta, Jodie Foster as uh, Minister Delacour. Uh, Char- Charlto Copley, uh, I've heard that name a dozen times and still can't say it, as Kruger, uh, Elise, uh, Alice Braga as Frey, uh, Diego Luna as Julio, and Wagner Mora as Spider, music by Ryan Ammon. So I failed to put a story outline in here, so um, let me see if I can come up with one real quick. <clears throat> do do do, coming up with the story outline. All right, here we go. In the set in the year twenty one fifty four, where the very wealthy live on a man made space station, while the rest of the population resides on a ruined Earth, a man takes a mission that could bring qual- equality to the polarized worlds. 
All right, Fizz, I already know, I've gotten the hints that we're not going to agree on this film. Uh, so why don't you tell us uh, why you liked it, and then I can tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> well, see, okay, I'll tell you my general thoughts, and then we can go into likes and dislikes. Okay. Because I think we can we can probably go back and forth on a lot of those. But I will say that I did enjoy this movie. Um, it didn't blow me away as much as I, I wanted it to. Um, uh, but it's, it resurfaced a lot of those district nine feelings, had, um, but it fell short of that. The impression that district nine made on me. I mean, cause like I said, district nine had some things in it that really kind of stuck with me. Right. Um, that allegory did, and it didn't, I don't have a lot of lasting feelings like I did with that one, but, um, in some ways it did hit home. Um, but I, I didn't see it knowing enough about it. Uh, as a film to really to kind of hit on all the notes. Like I didn't think it really did everything that it wanted to, or did it well enough. Um, or it went kind of with some of the wrong themes. Uh, I think one of the most notable things, and that's something I'm pretty sure we're getting ready to address is that most of the general movie goers, or if you want to get political about it, some of my slightly more liberal leaning friends, um, they enjoyed the movie and not a single one of them mentioned any kind of rich versus poor soapbox or like, uh, you know, socialized medica- med- uh, medical soapbox. They just talked about it as a, uh, a science fiction movie. Yeah. But man, well, if you don't acknowledge that, like you're being dishonest. Well, but that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's not that they were blind to it, but it wasn't really what they picked up on. Like those were like, when they talked to me about the story, that's when that, that's not what the, that's not the first thing out of their mouth. While on the other hand, I have a couple friends who were very conservative politically. And when they went to see it, they went in looking to have a grudge because of things that they had read about the movie. Right. And all they talked about when they came out of it were these, these things that I thought kind of sold the movie a little bit short. Um, no, and it would be a. I think you're right. It would be a little bit um, erroneous to ignore them, but I don't really think that should have been quite a big of a deal as it was. And maybe that's just how I saw the film, or maybe I was trying, you know, too hard to like it because I like District Nine. I'm still working through that because I, you know, it's only been a couple of days since I've seen the film. So yeah, I mean, I wanted to like the film, and I wanted to say, you know what? I see lots of films that I know they're from liberal viewpoints. I blah blah blah. And and famously, perhaps, uh, you know, people take issue with me because I'm a conservative talking about movies in the movie world where people are liberal. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, that's usually not a, a huge issue for me. Um, and and so, you know, I, I I am I will preface and say I am one of these people that is so conservative. I think that Reagan was a liberal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But but I'm conservative in a way that most most conservatives find to be. Um, what would you say? Anti-patriotic, liberal, um, you know, like, like I'm very libertarian leaning. I suppose you would say, I just want to acknowledge that and get that out up front before we talk about this film that you can't help, but talk about politics when you talk about this film, because it's so prevalent. And, and the first thing I want to say about that is I don't like it when even people, even films from my viewpoint, uh, anything from my viewpoint takes their message and beats you over the head with it until you're a bloody mess, just clubbing you with this blunt instrument of a message. I don't like it when Christians do that with their films. I don't like it when conservatives do that with their things. I don't like it when liberals do that with their things. I don't understand why this film should be any different because it's from the complete opposite side, why I should uh, like it any better. And and that's that's kind of how you know, even though I tried to ignore it, it was just so hard to ignore. 
<laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. When I wrote down a lot of likes and dislikes, I actually had to stop myself a couple times because I realized that this film deals with so m- many things, um, even though I think it can be kind of pigeonholed into just like one or maybe two things that I realized I was writing notes for my podcast. Um, I mean, it was dealing with a whole lot of very, like very large themes and meta narratives and worldviews that people are going to agree with or disagree with. Um, and I was like, Ooh, all right, we're doing a movie review, not a, you know, an ideological review. And so, I, I mean, I was conflicted about that as well. So I'm going to try to keep it pretty, yeah, I, pretty, pretty straight down the middle. Well, I mean, I did listen to uh, the slash film cast uh, about this film and, and uh, I like to, you know, I like to listen to that uh, podcast, even though uh, politically I very much disagree with those guys. Um, and they felt that strangely the same, like I expected them to love on Elysium and they did not like Elysium. Like they thought that the same thing that I'm saying and that, that the same, same thoughts that I was having is like, it's beating you. It was not subtle. It's beating you over the head with this message. Uh, even though they agree with it, you know, I, I feel like this film, it does a lot to instead of diffuse um, race wars, it kind of like perpetuates it and says, look, the class war, class warfare, race warfare. Um, I guess class warfare is more what I'm trying to say. It, it, it really kind of takes that and says, here's more flame on the fire. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, I mean, that's my viewpoint, and that would seem to be theirs as well, but maybe we're reading too much into this? I don't know. I don't think you're reading, well, I think you're reading maybe a little too much into it, but I don't think it's not, I don't think there's nothing there to be read. Because the thing is, one of the other things I tried to do is realize that the people making this movie are almost all from South Africa. Mm -hmm. So they don't have like a, you know, like a, a Democratic or Republican you know, thing that they're trying to really push. They're pushing, they're writing stories and, and kind of expressing themes of oppression and inequality that they've seen for, you know, since the existence of their country. Right. Um, but and I, it's I guess, written to their DNA. Yeah. But I guess my, my point of view, and again, I, I am a, a rich white American. I, I understand that I, my, my point of view is going to be immediately discounted because of that. Like I'm, I'm in the working middle class, white male American, like every, every, um, uh, pigeonhole, you know, place that you can put me in and say, there I am. I, I line right up with the stereotype, you know? So I realize my opinion doesn't count for much on this, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, I mean, I, I sit here and I say, okay, look, the, there are different classes of people and you're never going to eliminate that. And when you try, you're only going to make it worse. And, and, and also when I look at Elysium, I say, okay, you're telling me that nobody, nobody wanted to do something about the inequality other than the people who were being trodden. Like you see now all the time. I, I have many friends who go to third world countries and try to um, try to go over there to minister to them or to to uh, bring them food and water and, and teach them how to dig well. Like um, there's a specific ministry that I'm thinking of that I've worked with before that they their, their primary purpose in Africa is to better the water supply. I mean, you're telling me there's none of that going on right now? Like all the rich people have sequestered themselves in Elysium and then that's just it? This is not realistic. Well, that's what I I think that would be reading too much into the film because I think what the the film opened by starting or said in the opening was that there are people like that. Um, You know, that was that was the that was the nun that, you know, told Matt Damon's child character that he had a purpose. And, you know, 
there's a different perspective, you know, like think about what they get to see every day um, and, you know, where, where beauty really is. I mean, there are people like that, but I think it would be erroneous to think that there are so many people doing that, um, that you would notice that in that kind of world, because what we have is you're giving great examples of a select few who have chosen to not better their position in the world to help others. And I think, I think that's what we saw. That's what he tried to stage, which I don't think was done to the extent that it could have been done. That's what we had via a nurse character that was pseudo love interest. Um, That's why I didn't really see that as a complete write off because I think in that world, that's what that are in our world compared to that world. That's where those uh, comparisons could be made. Now, the other comparison is like, I don't think every person who had money was probably up on Elysium. But just like today, as many people as you can find who would be willing to go to a third world country or an inner city um, and give of their time, of their resources to do that, you have just as many people. I see this in the city that I live in. We have a downtown um, that used to be predominantly white, mm-hmm. and the more minorities that moved into it, the more white people moved out. And then the uh, the minorities came in, they bettered the city, they got jobs, and they started moving out to where the white people are. And so the white people moved out again. So you have that white flight. And I think that if uh, what you're, what Elysium is describing or picturing in a very like on the nose uh, kind of allegory is something that is still true and it's still prevalent. And I don't think it's that far-fetched to think that there would be enough people that would go live on a space station out of all the billions of people that would be left on the world. Because I think it it gave you the impression, especially with the opening lines of the movie, um, which I didn't like because it had to tell us something instead of showing us something. Right. um, That every rich person, you know, if you had like $100,000, you were on Elysium. I don't, you know, I, I think that was erroneous to think. I think if you were like, the 1% you lived on, you know, sure. if you, if you sure. were like a millionaire, you might be able to live on an Um So I, like I said, I think the metaphor was stretched too far, but I don't think it was invalid. Yeah. Although, you know, again, regardless what, what gives uh, like the film's premise is based on the idea that it's okay for Matt Damon's character, Max to go up and attack Elysium because they had, and he didn't. Now, I know it's more complicated than that because there was actual oppression going on. Like, they had a police force that, of, of androids that was oppressing these people. And, and, you know, you've got, you've got complications with, uh, Minister of Defense Delacorte, uh, killing people outright using, you know, people that she, you know, assets on the ground to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to murder people. So I'm not saying that there's not complications here with my, my thing, but my overall thing is the, the wrong of going and attacking Elysium does not make things right well and i thought you may have just had a a word choice that you didn't mean but you said it twice now you said matt damon was attacking elysium and i think i thought when i watched a preview that that's what this movie would be well Um, i mean i I thought i thought he was gonna gather some troops he was gonna go up there and he was gonna blow some stuff up and set a quality straight for the next you know future selves but what they did is they made a character who was weak and desperate and he didn't go up there to attack them he gave himself up to ride up there just to be able to get to um one of the medical bays he never meant to attack he never wanted to fight it was uh the antagonist that forced him into that situation and that fight ended up spilling into elysium yeah i kind Um, of agree with you but at the same time yet again 
uh, the medical bays were not his to have access to, right or wrong, fair or not, that's, that's the way it is. I mean, and and so him, because you won't let me have access to your medical bays, therefore I must, you know, I must do this, these other things that are, you know, not right. Uh, you know, it, that was just problematic to me. Oh, no. Like I said, I agree. I don't think that his motives were pure. I actually, it was really hard for me to get behind uh, what Max, uh, I keep wanting to call him Matt. Um, <laughs> right. It's too close. Uh, so, like, it was really hard for me to get behind him as a character, but I think that was purposeful as well. I don't yeah. think, once again, I don't think it was done quite as well as it should have been, but we had a character that we couldn't really get behind. But at the same time, that's one of the things I loved about this hero journey. We had a hero who went from child innocence to discontent with the world to hopelessness. And then at the end, I mean, I assume we have spoilers, you know, he's going to be, yeah, spoiler alert. he's, he's going he's gonna to be selfless, you know? Yeah. I guess what my and, quibble though there is, is that that journey was not motivated very well. Like I did not, I did not follow him. Yeah. I didn't follow him on this journey. And, and you know what I'm saying? Like it was all selfishly motivated except for that very last act, which admittedly was a big sacrifice, but I didn't get there with him. Like I didn't understand, like nothing motivated that to me. It was, it, it was like, okay, I, I know I disagree politically with this whole thing, but let me try to get into the character. And I couldn't get into that character. And this is what I was talking about that I see the similarity between District 9 and Elysium is that both of these primary characters are so selfishly motivated as to not be interesting. Like, you know, we do want our heroes, I think, inherently to to be good people. And I can't say that either of these characters in either District 9 or Elysium were characters that I wanted to like or identify with or or, or travel with on their journey. Well, and here's the part where if we were doing real world theology right now, this is like one of those questions that I have to prompt for people, okay? Because you can't get behind him. You don't want to get behind him. Exactly. But when you when you say you can't identify with him, I really have to disagree, TJ, because I think he has the most honest motivation that almost any human being outside of a person who has their eternal faith in something higher. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you misunderstood. I said I don't want to identify with this man. Okay, because self-preservation, I think, is something that every single person can get behind. Sure, sure. If if something happened to you, heaven forbid, um, and you, someone said, TJ, you have five days to live. If the only hope that you have is to get to Los Angeles, California, but they've erected like a 50 foot wall around Los Angeles. It's full of gangs and other bad things. Uh, it has freak tornadoes. And you know, would you be like, well, okay. Uh, or, or would you do almost anything to get there? Like you would pro I mean, like I said, it, it is an assumptive thing because like I said, I think there is something that separates certain people who have a different worldview, but I'd say the average person would do almost anything, sure. including double cross people. They would, you know, not care how it affected other people. Their best friends would probably die and they sure, wouldn't sure. care. Um, so I think he had the most honest, uh, carnal human desire to do the things he did, but it made me hate to root for him because I wanted to see him be selfless. Right. And, and, and that's the thing. Like when you're telling a story about somebody in general, you don't want them to be, 
what you want, what the, the, the traits and characteristics you don't want to see in yourself, or you want them to maybe have those and rise above them. And, and you can argue that he did, but he did, what I'm arguing is that I didn't follow that journey. I didn't follow that progression. I don't mind when a character starts out in the selfish place. I mean, take Tony Stark. I love him as a character, but he's on a journey and we can follow that progress and we can see him growing as a person. And, and, and I didn't get that, like, all the way up until near the end of the third act, everything that Max did was motivated selfishly. Everything. Well, so he, he, he needed to come face to face with how his actions were impacting other people. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't, I think typically during a journey in most, uh, generically scripted, I don't, I didn't mean generic is bad, but you know, what we see nothing new under the sun kind of way. Mm -hmm. Uh, we typically see a humanization of a unlikable character. And I, I get that. And I agree with that. Um, but it just happened that this face to face moment didn't come till the very end. Um, and I can buy into that. I don't like it a lot. Like I said, I preferred district nine because we had the same thing. We had a character who was, um, I mean, I, I did feel pity for him at some point because I realized oh, totally. that, you know, he, he, his goals in life, which is another thing. Oh, gosh. So I don't want to get too confused. Um, the thing I thought Elysium did very well that I thought they did in District 9 was point out that people's motivations, intentions, and hopes are often put in very unlasting or pointless things. I mean, we saw, you know, Charlotte Copley's character in um, District 9 hoping that like a good job would impress his stepdad and he would get, you know, he would be able to stay married and he would just go on being a questionnaire guy, yeah. you know, but that wasn't, like I said, once again, we don't want to get into the theology side of it, but like, you know, he, he was trying to let that be the answer to his life in the same way. Max resigned himself um, to being like, if I do this, then my life will be okay. And it's not until he realized that that's a lie that he needed to do something different. And oftentimes most people, and I see this in a lot of movies, it's not until they realize that what they were putting um, their kind of efforts into uh, fail them, that they, that they have that change. Um, so I, I thought both movies showed that very well. District nine, I think a little bit better because like you pointed out, I think the, the, the journey that, Charlotte Tocopi's character in District 9 goes on is a little more empathy-worthy, maybe? Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, I, I definitely I, – I felt for him as a character. At some point in the film, even though at first you're like, oh, man, this guy is kind of a moron. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. as the as District 9 progresses – and, and just to be clear, I'm talking about District 9. As it progresses, you start to, to get with – identify with this character, even though there was a little bit of regression at one point uh, before he uh, he tries to fly the ship up by himself without without his alien partner – there's there's that regression, and that's kind of where I see the similarity. It's like, come on, let us like the character. But then in Elysium, I felt nothing for for Max, nothing <laughs> well, ever. I, I At also, any point that I feel for Max. Well, let me uh, let me ask you that, or like maybe throw this out there. Um, I would say that in District Nine and Elysium, the people that we're supposed to care about the most aren't the main character. Um, um, in, in District yeah, Nine, by the, the end, we're 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 uh, well. I would assume most people are tired of the aliens getting crapped on and, yeah, and we're excited and we're excited when the alien and his son, uh, get to, get to leave. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, it, it's and, about Charlotte Copley, but it's not really about, uh, Charlotte Copley and just like Elysium's about Mount Damon, but it's not really about Matt Damon. 
Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Although I, I um, yeah, because for sure they kind of set this alien thing up in District Nine to where, yeah, at first you're like, okay, you know, there's something deeper going on, but they definitely show you the the side of the aliens that's really not cool. You know, they're they're kind of uh, they're all kind of morons, and they kind of <laughs> they're clumsy and they shoot things and they, you, you know. But then you start diving in a little and you see, well, they've kind of been pushed to this, you know. Mm-hmm. The, um, and so that that definitely you identify with the aliens, and you're right. The same thing does happen with Elysium. I certainly felt a lot more for Alice Braga and her daughter. I, I, what, what was the character, Alice Braga's characters at Frey? I definitely yeah. felt more for them than I did ever for Max, um, for sure. I, I completely agree. And I think that's who you're supposed to feel for mostly. Um, although I, you know, I wish that they could have expanded a little beyond that, but, uh, we should move on more from the philo- philosophical points, uh, cause, <laughs> you know, we've kind of laid those out and I don't think either of us are going to change our minds. And, and I don't think we're completely, you know, opposite directions or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things that really, 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 really frustrated me about this film uh, is something I'm referring to as the magic healing box. It's just the magic healing box. And, <laughs> and, and there were so many things in this film that just felt like video game power ups. You know, he, he acquired the armor. He, you know, uh, where, where's my Mario sound effect for the, for the mushroom <laughs> it's like yeah. oh okay there we go there's a power-up and and oh the bad guy though he got a power-up he's got the plasma shield you know and oh they get need to get the ultimate power-up the magic healing box it can heal anything no matter what i mean it can reconstruct a face that it, <laughs> it, it, it were you know oh it didn't damage his brain what what come, come on really <laughs> yeah I, I wasn't uh one of the i really when you said magic healing box i have actually written down um uh, magic code <laughs> But um, maybe that's just people who code would only understand how absurd that is. <laughs> yes, no, but, I completely agree. <laughs> but I, you know, the same thing. I didn't really understand why he needed a super suit. I mean, <laughs> super suit. Yes, <laughs> he, he, he wasn't frozen. Where's know? my super suit? So I mean, I didn't really get that, and I didn't really understand really the need for that. I didn't. <sighs> okay, let me see. Did I write this down somewhere? Well, there there was something we talked about in Pacific Rim where they said that, like there's a gimmick, okay? Yeah, like the drift in Pacific Rim was the gimmick, but instead of kind of trying to hide it away and it ends up being kind of like corny and dumb and doesn't have a point, like they kind of put it right out front and said, "Look, this is what's here, and we're going to make it integral to the plot." In this one, they're like, hey, we're going to just put this out there. We're not going to explain how it happened, how it came about, how only the rich people have it, how no one's thought about making this on Earth. Um, and it, and it's cool because uh, on one hand, the the things I love about uh, the, the two films that Blancoff's done is that uh, he's created a world that's futuristic without being too futuristic. Right. Um, so I enjoy watching those technologies integrate with the story as if like, it's not a big deal, but the, the magic healing box was a little too much. Yeah, I, I do agree. Like, like, uh, he's very good at creating a look that, is, you know, when you think of sci-fi, often you think of, uh, Star Trek, shiny plastic metal, you know, white, polished, polished stuff. Yeah. And even, you know, even though Star Wars is grittier, it, it suffers from the same thing. Like, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a really gritty sci-fi world. And you're in, in the two films that I've seen now from Blomkamp, yes, are very, they feel very real. Like, even though their future and technology doesn't exist yet that they're using there, it feels very gritty and real i I will give you that when it was Uh, one of my likes 
For um, sure. Hit, hit the visual look of the film. I love his style because it, it like hit, it seems like an attention to detail. Maybe I'm just plebeian in this, but like it, the, the look of his films immerses me so much in his world that I don't have to see his whole world. I can get little yeah. snippets um, of like a, like a slum and it, it gives me an idea of like what everything is like, um, which, and this is something that I think uh, you posted on the movie, but a long time ago, it makes me even more interested um, for him to maybe direct a Star Trek movie. Not I would necessarily, yeah. not necessarily write one, but like, I would love a very gritty, like immersive, you know, character driven. Yeah. Vibe. Although I think he would be somewhat constrained by the world of star Trek. That's already there because it is a more shiny polished world and you can't really deviate from that a lot. But in star Trek, we're going to have very soon an alien probe that comes back to earth looking for whales that don't <laughs> exist. And so they're going to have to go back to 1980, whatever. And when they do that, <laughs> he can direct an, you know, an immersive eighties. Uh, okay. Let's hope they don't do that. What's going to happen? No, 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 no. We're going to pretend it won't. They have a timetable where that that probe's got to come back. Yeah, that that is like 30 years, though, from the current star date of the current Star Trek universe or something like that. All right, so um, the magic healing box uh, just – oh, oh, and and this is a really, I think, a great illustration of how bad the writing was. Like I I, – you know, I felt like um, District 9 could have used a little writing help. I feel like Elysium could have used a lot of writing help. And this is the sort of thing. Like, he's painted himself in a box. This this magic healing box can bring people back from the dead. People with their face exploded. They can be rebuilt. And But yet, this magic code, there's no healing, there's no healing machine that can bring you back from that. Like, that's a line in the movie. Like, <laughs> what? What? You've painted yourself in this box, and now how are you going to get out of it? You're just going to take this one line and undo it all. This is complete ludicrous. Ludicrous. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this, TJ. Uh, I went to a very interesting sn- seminar one time, and it talked about like what made humans like uh, kind of individuals, and it was very theoretical in concept. But most of the most of the conclusions pointed to there's something about the brain that makes that. Where, where life kind of resides uh-huh. or, or life decisions are made. So I think the the concept that they were going for and the reason that it didn't bother me, though I almost let it bother me until I started thinking about it, was that we definitely get a flash on the screen when Kruger is in the, the magic healing box. It says brain intact. <laughs> and so – like did you did you see that? I, mean, I, not, I did, oh. but I was looking at his face, going, "No, it's not." <laughs> There's a big gaping hole the side now. of his head up into his brain cavity. There's no way. So since it said <laughs> the brain was intact, that that you know that that's cool. But then what happens to you know Max or Matt Damon's character is something happens to his brain. You know he's got the thing plugged into his mind and it does something to <sighs> him. Okay. So since that messes with his brain, now I, I want to be clear that. I don't think this is a very good way to do it. Uh, I don't think that's a very good explanation, but I think it's enough of an explanation for a sci-fi movie mm. that there are probably more things that you could pick on besides that. Well, I thought that was a pretty big deal. Like I, I'm, I'm sitting here in the movie theater and usually I'm the type of person that I think of these things after the film. I was thinking mm. about this as the film was going on. I'm like, Oh, come on. Seriously. Well, no, seriously. We'll take, we'll take, take your problem with that and, and assign it to a problem that I think is a lot more legitimate, which is what I was saying earlier, the magic code you code. I've done coding. Um, I can't imagine this to me is the watching CSI 
and someone saying, can you zoom in on that? And they're like, I sure can. And yeah. you're like, no, you it's, can't. It's only two megapixels, but we're looking at the little pores on his nose. Yeah, so th- that, that was the equivalent of the magic code. Like, no one's ever thought to just write a code that overwrites this. And if if they've never thought of it, why can – well, I'll tell you this. The average person or even most coders can't just like – look at code scrolling up a screen like the matrix and be like, that's what this does. I know as much as I love the matrix, that is one thing. It's like, Oh, pretty soon you just learn to look, read the code and see what's going on. It's like, no, you don't. The human brain doesn't work. If you're plugged in and you become a computer, you can pass that off. Another sci-fi answer that it's not probably the best way to describe it, but can be described. And this one, it's just dudes looking at a big screen being like, Oh, now that somebody blew the code up and scrolled it across my screen real big. This will bring down everything. It'll make everyone equal. It was the skull and crossbones in the code that gave it away. (laughs) And and not only that, but it took this very particular guy writing this code um, to come up, you know, with this magical set of coding algorithms to do this. And yet this other guy, who has no part of it and has never thought about doing this himself, even though he has an entire team of apparently hackers trying to get past the grid or whatever they term they use. Um, They never thought that they could do that, but he goes up and in like two minutes rewrites the code. And and it's always like, you know, one line of code. It's like delete, delete, delete everybody. You know, I I mean, so when when you're talking about things that I think you can generally gripe about that have even in the future, People aren't going to be that good at coding. No, no, no. Well, I mean, it, it, literally, like, any. I, I was surprised. Like at first, I was like, "Oh, look, that's a real coding thing." Like he's going to compile it, and mm-hmm. then he goes to compile it and says, "There's the two options." I don't remember the first one. The other one was lethal, and I'm like, "What? What? What do you mean lethal compile? What is this?" Wait, you don't have that when you're compiling your HTML5? No, when I compile my, maybe more apt description would be when I compile less into CSS. But, but no, I don't have a lethal option. What is that? It's something um, you're missing out on. You need to call <laughs> Apple, maybe. Um, I'm sure they have an option. And, 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 and this is like one of the notes, one of the things I wrote down, it's a bullet point I actually have, is, 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 is closely related to what we're talking about. The, basically, the way this film ends is he pushes the win button. He does. Yeah, I mean, it's a stupid well, there, there's lots of for, – for all the technology that I saw in this movie that I did enjoy because of – you know kind of, have kind of integrated, like I, like I was talking about earlier, that there were some just technology tropes working in technology that just get on my nerves. And the, the data transfer rate race against the clock <laughs> is something that I've had enough of. Yep, I'm me tired too. of people you – know, I'm tired. I saw – what was it? Like Iron Man. You know, We see it like in every single movie. It's like, oh, how long is it going to take to move to the USB stick? And I just – I'm so tired of yeah, – we just, we just transferred like you know, 5,800 million teraflops of information yeah. onto this little bitty USB stick in under two minutes. But – so you know, so technology things mm-hmm. aside, um, since we're kind of hitting on some dislikes, I want to talk about the thing that I disliked about this movie the most. Okay. Um. Jodie Foster. Uh, I thought Jodie Foster stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And this is the thing. Like, I didn't know what she was going for. Um, And her character typically made very little sense to me. I think if you want to point to something that was poorly written, um, I can probably come up with excuses for most everything except for Jodie Foster and her lines. Yeah. And it's a combination of everything. It was bad writing, bad dialogue. She had nothing to do. And it was incredibly, incredibly bad acting. Really, oh. really terrible acting. Like, I'm, I'm ashamed. Like, if I was Neil Blomkamp, 
I would be ashamed to put this movie out with her in it because it, because it would reflect on me as a director because A, I didn't cast the right person and B, I can't bring her out of it with my directing. Mm-hmm. Like It's feel, like, what in the world? Yeah, I feel like someone told her to do some type of impersonation but then didn't tell anybody else that she was doing it um, because she was so confident in doing whatever this whatever it was, was. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was, it was very overacted. Yeah, so I, I mean, like, having to watch her on screen was very painful. Um, and actually, in general, most of the casting, I I personally didn't like, even no. though I know some people didn't have a problem with it like I did. But, like, I didn't like the guy who played Spider. Oh, terrible. Terrible. Um, he's not he's not he's not a computer guy. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the only even... the only casting choice that I didn't mind was Alice Braga. Was she the was she Frey? Frey. Yes, she was yeah. fine. And I didn't, I mean, like she didn't deter anything or uh, wait, she wasn't detrimental to the movie to me, but like she didn't like really stand out. I mean, even Matt Damon, who I typically enjoy in most movies. Well, he he was very obviously supposed to be a Hispanic and he wasn't. He's a white Matt Damon. I mean, like this role was written for a Hispanic person. He's a white guy growing up in L.A. It's, but it's weird, right? I mean, like he speaks Spanish. He's like in the Spanish community. Everybody around him is Hispanic and he's a white guy. And he, well, but, but like he's supposed to be Spanish or something. Like, I don't know. It's really weird. I hate to be, once again, the guy that breaks this to you, TJ. But there are white people that live in Spanish speaking communities. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> but, but that's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying like it was almost as if he was supposed to be Hispanic. But he, well, think, but they can't, I, they couldn't find a Hispanic actor that they like. So they cast Matt Damon instead. No, I think the whole thing of having them at the mission at the beginning uh, kind of gave rise to him just being like a, an orphaned white kid mm, in I guess. Uh, like a Spanish type mission. I guess, um, but it, it seemed very strange to me. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I mean, can, can I can I actually tell you things that I liked? Is that gonna? We're not. Gonna I don't know it? if I can allow that. No. <laughs> go, go ahead. Well, um, I think uh, Chad that did the review. I know um, that was Corey. Corey, gosh. Uh, I'm going to kick myself for saying that later. Um, so Corey said one of the things that he really disliked that I completely disagreed with him was um, Charlotte Copley's uh, Kruger. Uh, I, I was blown away. Like I didn't even realize it was him for like the first 15, 20 minutes when he was on screen. Uh, I was supposed to be given a character who was the scum of the earth, who was almost the incarnation of pure evil. Um, self-motivated, just scum. I mean, I, you know, crazy, unpredictable. And I thought he played that magnificently. I would have never seen him in like a, a villainy role. Um, it was spontaneous. Uh, he was all over the place. And I thought it really worked for the character. I hated Kruger. I think everyone hates Kruger, but I don't think if he would have just been like a, a macho looking bad guy, that would just be like, Hey, I'm here to kick your butt. I don't think it'll work, but yeah, Charlotte, I mean, Cope, I, Charlotte Copey was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, and I, it, it, you're right. Everybody, you're going to hate uh, Kruger just because of who he is, but my my dislike for him as a character is different. I feel like he was very two-dimensional. Like, there was no motivation for the guy. They didn't establish why he was bad. He just was bad, and then he was just evil, and that's just the way it is. I, I mean, like, I, I wanted to know more about him. I wanted to know why he was so crazy and stupid and uh, I didn't get it. Like he was very two-dimensional. Oh, so that's the thing. I don't think he was stupid. I think that's the thing. I think he was insane. I think uh, no doubt Copley did a very good job of showing us what a person who is truly insane looks like. He's not slow. He's not dumb. 
Um, he basically amuses himself. Um, and, and like, it's crazy and unpredictable. And I think that's the, that's the biggest thing to it. Uh, what, like that slight difference, yeah. because I think if he was just supposed to be a, a straight two dimensional, two dimensional henchman, then I would have not liked it as much. But like I said, he gave it, he did give it a third dimension. He gave it the, I am crazy. This is what happens when you are mentally unstable and people give you swords and ammunition. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, my complaint with him is the same as with everything in this film. It's very two dimensional. Nobody has clearly established motivations. I mean, you know, just like Alice Braga. Again, I liked her character. I liked her in the, as the character, but she wasn't given much to do, and I had no connect, real connection with her. I had probably had as much connection with her as anybody, maybe the most, uh, and I wanted to relate to her, but I really couldn't because she wasn't given much to do. And that's the same thing, like, like in that way, I feel like Charlotte Copley was very two-dimensional. I couldn't connect to him on that le- on any level because he was so two-dimensional. I think he had that third dimension. That's all I'm saying. Mm. Okay. Like I said, I think a two-dimensional character doesn't go up to Elysium and then decide that he's going to take over because it would be fun. I think a two-dimensional character does whatever Jodie Foster tells him to. Um, yeah, I guess. And, and doesn't find pleasure from it. I think a two-dimensional character shows up, tries to kill uh, Max, and then goes back and grills out and waits for his next orders. Uh, Kruger basically was waiting for any opportunity to entertain himself through his insanity. But to agree with you, I will say that most of the other characters I think were two dimensional. Very, I think, very cartoonish. I, yeah. I think Alice Frey wasn't, I didn't get enough of Alice Frey. Um, I don't think, I, I don't understand why I was really supposed to like her. Um, I didn't get a backstory about why she had a kid and why I should care. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big thing for me too. Um, like where did this so, kid come from? You know, Max, to a certain degree, was two-dimensional um, until the end. Um, I think it took too long for them to try to give him that third dimension. Um, but, you know, but at the same time, I still give him the benefit of the doubt. Self-preservation being a very two-dimensional worldview. Um, you know, most things pale in comparison when you when you have a single-minded focus like that. But most of the other characters, I mean, Spider, I didn't really understand what he did. Like, so you yeah. sell tickets to Elysium, but then you don't, you're a bad guy, but you're a good guy. Uh, yeah. Which is it? You have no motivations. For, like, are you doing this for power? Are you doing this for money? Are you doing this? Cause you're bored. Are you doing this? Cause you are, you have a limp and it makes you irritable. I, yeah, I just don't, I don't really understand most of the motivations of the characters. Um, like I said, but that's a, that's still a very, very pretty, Bold generalization when I when I say that. Yeah, but so, I completely agree with it. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like that, I think there is common ground there, and I, I definitely see where you're coming from. But I don't necessarily think it's at quite as cut and dry. Okay. Um, and I think that one of the reasons that I think I, even though I completely hated Kruger, I love Copley's performance of Kruger because it was one of the from start to finish. I thought it was the most complete character, mm. and I can I can see how. It was he was unlikable and um, his irrationality was unsettling. But I would think for him to be for someone to say that he did a bad job with that character, I would have to strongly disagree with. Okay. Um, and it was one of my favorite parts of the movie. So but um, I'm going to tell you something fun. OK, okay? Go, go for it. So this is one of those realization moments. Uh, when we left the movie, my wife was like, 
man, there sure was a lot of blood and guts in that movie. It was almost too much. It's rated R. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, but when you go see movies about people dying, they get stabbed or shot and they're like, oh, I got shot and they fell down. But like people got blown up. People's faces mm-hmm. got blown off. Much you like know, people, District 9. Yeah. And, it, and, I, and that's what I said. I said, well, if you think about it, it's basically exactly like District 9, but it bothers us in Elysium because they're not aliens that are dying like that. Oh, yeah. And so then she was like, oh, I feel like a terrible person because I have humans are better than everybody tendencies. Although I, I will like, say there was there was a few humans blown up in District 9. And it was pretty gruesome. Like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, was one of my, it, was, it was one of my favorite things because I, I, I don't necessarily um, – want to I don't condone's not the right word, but I don't want to encourage or I don't really like just gratuitous violence just like like right uh gore just for gore's sake. Yeah. 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 Um typically. But um I thought when you can show it and it makes you afraid of the consequences of things, that's typically what I see in the kind of the 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 Blanc Camp's kind of style. Like like these weapons are powerful. This is what they do. You, you know, there's not like, Oh, I got shot in the arm, you know, <laughs> right, I'll just right, yeah, I'll yeah. put a bandaid on it or I'll go to the hospital later, even though I'm bleeding out. It's like you get shot by this or you get hit by this. Like you die, you don't just die, but like you don't come back, which is that, you know, a dislike was, I didn't really want them to bring Kruger back, but you know, yeah. Like, like I, I felt like, okay, you know, he was a two dimensional character. He was bad guy. He was over the top. Now he's dead. Now we're moving on. Now we're going to get to the real villain here, which is Jodie Foster. And then boom, she's dead. Like (laughs) what, what, what just happened? I don't even understand what just happened. Uh, That was one of my favorite parts. I'm like, yes. Yeah. I mean, sure. Sure. On that level. Sure. I agree. But, but at the same time, I was in there going, they just spent all this time setting up this really weird character that Jodie Foster's playing and they just killed her and she has nothing more to do in this film. I don't understand what they just did. What they did was they showed you how crazy Kruger was. They just added a fourth dimension. Hmm. No, I don't agree. <laughs> um, we do need to we need, do need to move towards wrapping this up. We've been uh, talking here for almost an hour and forty five minutes. Um, so um, I, I do just want to mention this though. Like the ending of this film didn't solve anything. It did nothing. You mean like District Nine? Um, no, I mean in a different way. Like District Nine, it wasn't like they were trying to solve it. This film felt like it was supposed to. Like everybody's a citizen of Elysium now. We all have access to these wonderful medical bay pods. The world is all better now. And I'm there was no because okay, if the Earth is supposed to be overpopulated. You've done. You've not solved anything. There's no way that this limited amount of resources that are available on Elysium can solve anything for any, for everybody on Earth. I, I, that doesn't make any sense. Nothing. Nothing about the end of this film made any sense actually. Well, I think if the film, like if I talked to the filmmakers and they said this is the solution, then I would be very disappointed. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think it ends it with or they're trying to end it with the same feeling that you have with District 9 where you said this isn't over, but the status quo has been changed and now something different has to happen. Um, and I actually it left me with a lot of unanswered question because I think if they actually sit down and say, yes, now that everyone has meta, you know, magic healing boxes, the world's <laughs> going to be a better place. I think that would be erroneous um, because it assumes a lot about humanity that I think is very erroneous. Yeah. Um, I think there, as soon as those ships land, there should have been much like there was in District Nine. There should have been, you know, Zimbabwe gangs and you know um, all these people vying for power because ultimately, I think that's what 
you would see when there's a very limited supply of something and people who desire power and comfort over their humanity. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted, I would be interested to see how that played out. And I don't necessarily think that was their answer, but I think it said the status quo. Oh, it's no longer quo, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, th- that's kind of why I took away from it. Like I said, I think if you go into it with a certain lens, you can see that that's what they were saying. But I, f- I guess I want, can you, can you call up, um, Neil and see if you can have him on? We got a couple questions. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Just, just send him an email. Just let him know. I would love to know if that was what he thought the answer was. Cause it, like I said, t- thinking, taking into account his, his South African background, mm-hmm. um, and taking into account his previous work in District 9, to me, when I do that, it seems very hard um, for me to imagine that's the end. But like, if you look at apartheid and you look at what that country went through, then you, you can say that not a lot of people had the answer, but a lot of people um, knew what was wrong. And so getting things, getting people aware of that and pointing in the right direction was probably some of the hardest things they ever did. You know, admitting the fact that there was a, you know, segregation was one of the hardest things they had to get to people to admit, admit, you know, admitting the fact that like white people owning most of the wealth in that country was one of the hardest things to get people to admit now how to fix it. I mean, that's, that's open to interpretation, but I think at the end of the day, all the film well, there was a little more, but most of what the film was trying to say is that, like, this isn't right and something needs to change. Yeah. Um, and, and then you can agree with that or disagree with it. And yeah, and you can and you can agree or disagree. And like I said, if I think if if they actually are trying to say that giving everyone magic medical boxes is the answer to fixing like global poverty, then I would agree that they are completely wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was a little um, unfulfilling, but. Yep. So it was District 9 to that degree. Yeah, but it felt like District 9 was very purposeful in that, and I didn't feel like this was purposeful at all. I guess that's my that's what I'm griping about. So, but let's 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 talk about our ratings a little bit. And uh, I'm, I'm going to preface mine and say that uh, I liked District 9 well enough that I will probably at some point in the future watch it again. Uh, I, I I'm I'm leaning three three and a half stars on that. This film, no, I'm I'm going to give it uh, two out of five stars. I think I expected that. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't tell that I didn't like it, huh? Yeah. Well, and I think I said earlier, if if I had to give District 9 a grade, I would probably have given it four and a half stars. Um, I, it would have been another one that would have probably gotten 4.25, you mm, know, because right, it would okay. have gone between. Um, but uh, Elysium did fall short of my expectations, and it did not do what I think it was trying to do as well as District 9 did. And so, but I still enjoyed it. Like, I enjoyed the journey I had a lot of gripes with it. We just talked for an hour and well, like an hour about, about the gripes about it. And so there were plenty, but I'd still say I'd give it three and a half stars. Um, you you, you think it's worth seeing in the theater? I think it's worth seeing it. I think it was, I think what the, the world that um, uh, Neil Blomkoff creates is worth visually experiencing in the theater. Okay. I th- um, And like, and I didn't get to this, but I, I didn't mind that the shaky cam because I feel like I'm a participant in the story mm, I hate that. Um, and I usually do not like shaky cam, but I think it works for the stories he's trying to tell because sometimes when like we're watching a movie in third person and 
we only get shaky cam for fights, like as a gimmick. I really don't like that. We've talked about that before. But when you get it a lot of the film and you feel like you're on the journey with the character, I think it can be done right. It it was hard to follow at times, but I thought it worked. Um, so it didn't bother me as much in this film, though. In general, I agree with you, TJ. Um, so I think it's something that it would be worth experiencing in the theater. Um, but I don't think a lot of people are going to kick themselves if they miss it. Yeah. Um, so. Well, at, at two out of five stars, I'm on the side of actively avoid this film. You know, <laughs> if you're, if your friends suggest that you see it in the theater with them, kindly and politely suggest something else. And if they don't listen, walk away. <laughs> what else are you going to see, TJ? You've already seen the Wolverine. Are you going to go see Turbo? Don't no, do no. That. How about Percy Jackson and the, uh, whatever the new one is called? Um, yeah. So speaking of which, next week, uh, Joe will be back on the podcast with me because Chad will still be out for one more week and, uh, Joe will be on with me again. You'll get to hear his uh his lovely voice uh his his radio voice uh so he'll be we'll be talking about percy jackson and he also wants to talk about jobs i don't know if i'm going to be able to squeeze that in i have a very tight schedule coming up i have uh uh, my sister-in-law is getting uh, married in peoria and i'm in nashville so i have to drive up there for the wedding and i'm gonna he's got two days out you know one day to drive up one day to drive back and gripe 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 wine 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 um i live such a hard life inconsiderate of her exactly and so i don't know if i'm gonna be able to watch two films I, i know that i'll be able to watch percy jackson uh, I know Joe's going to watch Jobs, whether I have time to or not, so he'll have something to say about it. So we're going to talk about both of those films next week and uh, get to say hi to Joe again, see what he's been up to. That's, that's, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, if you've been missing him, uh, then be sure to check out next week's episode. Uh, it will be live at the same um Yes, it'll be live at the same time. I want to make sure we had talked a little bit about pushing it later, but it will be at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, 8.30 Eastern, uh, and then we'll post on Thursday of next week. So be sure to check that out. If you want to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 56. And Fizz, if people want to keep up with your work, where can they do that at? Well, if they'd like to, um, they can check out some of my stuff at realworldtheology.com. That's real two, with two E's, um, as in the movies. Um, and check out that blog. You can also go to iTunes and subscribe to Real World Theology Podcast. Um, we just had our fifth episode, and we're already scheduled to record our sixth next week. So it's it's kind of sneaking up on me. Yeah. Um, and if you want to follow me personally outside of Real World Theology, um, even though you're going to get a lot of the same stuff, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. Um, I'm at at physification, possibly the best Twitter username in the world. I would, I like to think so. Yes. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that. Uh, I am a TJ Draper pro. If you want to follow movie bite on Twitter to keep up with, uh, the latest movie news and, uh, things I, every, every post goes out to Twitter at uh, MovieBite. and, uh, same thing on Facebook. You can like the, uh, Facebook page at, uh, facebook.com slash movie We put all the posts out there and some other fun stuff from time to time, although I've been pretty slammed lately. And since I'm the only person with the keys to those accounts, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's a bit of a problem, but, but, uh, do do some fun stuff out there from time to time. So make sure to follow us there. Um, and, uh, yeah, check us out moviebyte.com. You can search for, uh, the podcast in iTunes. Uh, just search for moviebyte will pop up right there and you can give us a star rating. We haven't had any good ratings lately. It's been several weeks, so it'd be great if you give us a rating, if you liked or enjoyed the show, that would really help us out. And uh, even if you didn't, go give us five stars anyway. Uh, (laughs) And that's it for us. We're out of here. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.